Add to your faith goodness or the strength to do the right thing. Add to that knowledge. Let's put this in context. We've got four times where knowledge is mentioned in this scripture that we just read. Four different times. And so let's look at the other three and make sure that we're understanding this in context. So 2 Peter 1 verse 2 says, Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. So this is talking about knowing God and attaining grace and peace through our knowledge of God. Verse 3, His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. So our knowledge of God allows us to connect with God and that connection with God gives us what we need to be able to conquer the things of this life and have the ability to live a, a godly life. So it's the knowledge of of Him, the knowledge of God. And then verse 8, the verse that we get the name of the series from, says this, For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So when it's talking about knowledge, it's talking about knowing God and knowing the ways of God. That's what this is talking about. So add to your faith Goodness and to goodness, knowledge. Begin to learn the ways of God, the the truths of God, the heart of God. Have a knowledge of God and the ways of God. So this is essentially the same dynamic that we talked about in our previous sermon series called Unlocking Freedom in Your Life. And we looked at John chapter 8, verses 31 and 32, and it's the same basic concept. So let's read that, John 8, 31 and 32. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. So to hold to the teaching is basically to believe the teaching and to put it into practice, which is faith and goodness. It's the first step, which is to believe, and the second step, which is the strength to do the right thing. So holding to the teaching is knowing what the teachings are and living them out. That's step one and step two, faith and goodness. Verse 32, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So we see step three is knowledge. So putting your faith into action gives you things that you begin to understand about God and the ways of God. So it's the same dynamic that we looked through with that previous series, Unlocking Freedom in Your Life, because then we begin to get set free. The truth will set you free. Now here's the problem. People sometimes in church miss God and God's ways, but catch Christian trivia and catch the rules for fitting in in their particular church or Christian group. We can learn Christian trivia, but not know God. You can be able to list the books of the Bible in order and know nothing about God or the ways of God. You can memorize lots and lots of Scripture, but not get that Scripture, not know God, and not know the ways of God. We can learn how to fit in in our particular church groups. You know, like here, you might dress different than at another church. You might speak different than you would somewhere else. There's just different rules in different places, and we can learn the rules for fitting in. When I first started going to church as a a young new believer, I found out you can't say good luck to people. 
You say good luck to somebody, they give you this big long thing about how they don't believe in luck and all this stuff. And I was just like, what? I just want things to work out for you. What are you talking about? You know, and it's just like you learn these rules about how to fit in in the Christian world. And it's a counterfeit thing. You feel like you're learning stuff, but you're just learning trivia and the ways to fit in. What we need to learn is the ways of God and learn to get to know God. That's what we need. Now, Jesus talked about this dynamic of being involved in church but missing God when he was yelling at the Pharisees in the, all the woes. I mean, he called the Pharisees out in front of everybody. It was an amazing, amazing thing. You wonder why such a great guy would be crucified. Well, he also took some pretty hard stands, and he called people out publicly. And when you call out the religious elite publicly, that's not necessarily going to go real well for you. So he did that. And he presented the faults of the religious culture of the day. And I believe, of course, that human nature is human nature. And these faults can repeat themselves over history. And so we have to watch out for those even in today's world and make sure that we're not learning about Christianity, but we're learning about God and we're learning the ways of God. We're not learning about religion. We're learning about connecting with the power of God and the divine nature of God so that we can be free and we can grab hold of the good things of God. So Jesus is talking about this. Let's read Luke 11, verse 52, and then we'll go to Matthew 23, verse 13. So Luke eleven fifty-two. Jesus, again, he's yelling at the religious elite. He says this to them, woe to you experts in the law because you have taken away the key to knowledge. You yourselves have not entered and you have hindered those who were entering. So he's saying to the experts in the law, the people who are experts in understanding the Bible, that they have taken away the key to knowledge. How does the expert in the Bible take away the key to knowledge from people? Well, it's when it becomes trivia and culture instead of God and his ways. It's where you get to learn all the Sunday school answers to the questions, but you don't know God. It's where you, instead of seeing God and connecting with God, you see basically religion and connect with that, and that's all there is. In fact, what can happen in these contexts, I found this out as an early Christian too, there are certain questions you just can't ask. You know what I mean? Like people will get really mad at you if you ask certain questions, theological questions or just basic questions about how do we know things and that. So, I mean, I get Christians got really mad at me. I just wanted to know the answer, you know, and they're just certain questions you can't ask. And I think part of the reason is because a lot of people who are church attenders have hidden doubts that they're just kind of suppressing and they haven't really looked at it in any legitimate way. So if you bring it up, they're afraid that it's not going to work out, you know, like that their fears of things not being true are actually going to be realized. And the truth is that God is real and that if we are honest and seek him, we'll find him. And so we don't need to be afraid to uncover the questions. We have to go look. But if we don't want to uncover the questions because we're afraid it won't go the way that we want it to go, we end up hiding the key to knowledge because we don't want to be open and honest with our questions about our faith. And that's a disaster. And so Jesus calls them out. He says, you have taken away the key to knowledge. You haven't entered in and you're hindering those who are trying to. Matthew 23 verse 13 
This is in the same situation, but recorded in Matthew. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You shut the kingdom of heaven in men's faces. You yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those enter who are trying to. If someone is seeking God and they're at a place in their life where they think, man, I I just got to find out. They should come to church, right? Yeah, I hope so. And they should be able to find honest people who are truly seeking God who may have a variety of different perspectives on a whole lot of different things, but who are just trying to find the heart of God. And there can be questions that go unanswered. There can be tensions that are a part of that reality of not knowing everything. And we must be willing to really truly learn, not just subject ourselves to Christian trivia and fitting into Christian culture. Now, here's the deal, too. Don't play the victim and then just blame the dead church. You have been given everything you need for life and godliness. You can't just say, oh, yep, well, the church has led me astray. And I no, you go find God. I'll try as best I can to make sure that we're in an environment where you can find God and you can have honest questions and you won't be pushed aside because you don't fully see how something could work. That's fine. Let's be honest. But the reality is you've been given everything you need for life and godliness. Tap into the power of God. Do it yourself. You can do that. God's made that available to all of us. Don't blame. Have you seen uh, Will Smith talk about fault versus responsibility? He's talking about, you know, something might not be your fault, but it's your responsibility. You know, it may not be that you caused it to happen, but since it's affecting your life, you've got to take responsibility for it and take care of business. Now, whatever your religious upbringing, you know, okay, yeah, lots of people have church hurts. They've got a lot of baggage from all kinds of messed up religious things. You know what? It's not your fault, but it's your responsibility to find God and find the actual truth. And you've been given everything you need for life and godliness, so go get it. Don't blame the messed up background that you've got. Go grab a hold of it. We're talking about knowledge. And I want to talk about an interesting study that was done in Canada about rats and addiction to morphine. So this should be kind of fun. It's the rat park experiment. So there's this researcher in Canada that heard that if you put a rat in a little Skinner box, in a little little bitty cage with nothing to do but drink regular water or morphine water, that they would drink the morphine water and they would do it until they died. And it usually took about 50 or 60 days for the rats to die from their addiction. And they'd sit in the cage and they would choose the morphine water. He thought, well, if I was a rat and I was in a little bitty cage with absolutely nothing to do, no other rats to talk to, No little wheel to run in. No wood chips to build into anything. And all I had was I could drink regular water or I could drink morphine water. Which would I do? He thought, well, I'm drinking the morphine water because there's nothing else to do. So he decided that he would do the same experiment, but he would build a rat park. So instead of a little cage, he built a big cage and he built it with all kinds of fun tunnels and and little spinny things and, and wood chips to play in and other rats to hang out with. And he built a rat park and he put regular water and morphine water in it. And you know what happened? They drank the regular water because the morphine water messed up their lives. 
They had good lives to live and they didn't want to have their lives messed up. So they chose to drink the regular water because they had a better alternative than the morphine. And then he thought, well, what would happen if I took some rats that were in the stark boring cage that had been drinking the morphine water for 30 days? They're halfway there to death. I took them out and I put them in the rat park cage. Well, he took them out, he put them in there, and they quit doing the morphine, and they just drank the regular water, and they hung out with their friends, and they played in the wood chips, and they ran through the tunnels, and they had a great time. What does this have to do with anything? Here's the deal. We have a progression in these eight things, and I believe it's a loose progression, but it's a progression. I mean, we need to be building all eight at the same time, but too many people start at the fourth one instead of the first one. So here's the progression. I think we've got three categories in the progression as well. We've got add to your faith, goodness, again, the strength to do the right thing, and then knowledge. This is where the God thing is building in our life. This is where the rat park is being built, where we're starting to learn about the power of God, the beauty of God, the strength that we have in Christ, the purpose that we have for living. We're learning all those things. Then you have self-control and perseverance. Self-control, the strength to not do the wrong thing, and perseverance, don't quit. This is what you need to protect the beautiful thing that is growing in you. The beautiful God thing needs to be protected with self-control and perseverance. And then you have the fruit of it, the maturing of it, which is godliness, brotherly kindness, and love. So we see the building of the God thing, we see the protecting of the God thing, and we see the fruit of the God thing in those three categories along this eight-step process. Now here's the deal. If you say to the rat in the boring cage that only has water and then a morphine solution, don't drink the morphine, it'll kill you. What's it going to do? Of course, if it understands English and believes you, it'll go like, okay, I'm not going to. And what will it find? A boring life not worth living, and it'll go back to the morphine, right? Because there's nothing good going on. That rat's best option is the morphine. But if we, instead of starting with don't do that, how many people start their faith journey, they, their relationship with God, their relationship with their faith, with the church is all based on don't do that. If it's all don't do that, but we haven't built the better thing to choose instead, it won't make any sense. There's nothing to protect. There's no reason not to self-destruct. Because what's the other option? Just drink plain water in a boring, stark cage that's pointless and meaningless and unpleasant? That's not worth it. But if you can grab hold of life that is truly life, if you can start to see where abundant life is and where God gives us life to the full and you can start to be walking by faith and have the strength to do the right thing and that builds you up on the inside and you start to see God and and know how to connect with God, now you have something to protect. You have a reason to not do the wrong thing. If, for example... You have a beautiful 10-year marriage. There's things you need to do to not ruin your marriage, right? But if all you've had is bad relationships, what's there to protect? What difference does it make? Here's the deal. If you've been thinking, because isn't this the picture of it? We leave people in the boring cage with water and morphine, and we say, don't drink the morphine or you'll go to hell. 
And then everybody's like, oh, but I am so bored and my life is so pointless and I'm just so depressed and there's nothing worth doing and all I've got is water and morphine and I can't do that. They're stuck in a horrible position. But here's the deal. Walking with God is awesome. It's fantastic. It's just beautiful and wonderful and glorious. And you have to get that first before you understand why you should protect it. So go ahead and have faith. Add to that faith goodness, the strength to do the right thing. And then you'll start learning wonderful things about God. And then step four, self-control, the strength to not do the wrong thing. Go ahead and build the good God things first. All right. Let's just give a couple examples of how we can build things instead of just living in the boring cage and just trying to have the willpower to not drink the morphine water. But instead, we can see there's a better life and we can grab that first. Let's talk about, for me, faith in the Scriptures, faith in the Bible. Now, when I first got saved, when I first became a believer, I didn't know anything about the Bible. I didn't have a very scientific mindset. And I'm like, well, I'm not going to trust it till I find out if it's true. I mean, it doesn't make any sense to just like, oh, I guess I'll believe it because it says it's true inside of it, which is horribly circular reasoning, you know? And, and so, but I'm going to, I'm going to read some of the circular reasoning in there anyway. Second Timothy chapter three, verses 14 through 17. And then look and see how faith to the strength to do the right thing to knowledge allows us to understand why we should step into self-control and perseverance. So second Timothy three, 14. So this is the Apostle Paul writing to Timothy. He's a young Christian leader. He's a, a pastor. He's doing lots of things for the Lord. And so the Apostle Paul is coaching Timothy on how to live his life as a Christian leader. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know those from who you learned it. And how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. As a young believer trying to evaluate whether or not I should trust the scriptures, I had to at one point just make a choice. I'm either going to believe by faith that the Bible is the holy inerrant word of God, or I'm going to keep judging it and evaluating it myself. And so I chose, it was a conscious decision, I chose to say, well, I'm going to take the Bible as the holy inerrant Word of God. I'm going to choose to read it that way. I'm going to choose to believe that that's what it is. And you know what happened? Up till that point, my life hadn't really changed. In fact, when I became a Christian, my life got worse. Things got harder. I got deeper into addictions. I I got deeper into depression. My life got worse. And then when I took the Bible as true, and as an authority over me. So if it said something I disagreed with, I changed what I was thinking. Then my life began to change. Then I started to see things in ways that I never thought I could see things. And I began to learn about God. 
I put faith into the scriptures and then I actually learned. I didn't just memorize verses and ignore them, but I learned them and put them into practice. And then I began to know and realize, wow, when we believe the holy scriptures and put them into practice, it's powerful and amazing and incredible. And I saw just huge changes in my life come by choosing to believe the scriptures. I put faith in the word of God. I added to that the strength to do the right thing, to actually study it out. And then in in an honest way, not in an academic way, but in a, I got to live this. And then I saw the understanding, the power of God, and that's when then you need to persevere and continue learning the scriptures, and it starts to make a difference. I I got saved by myself. I got baptized in the Holy Spirit by myself. I basically discipled myself by reading the scriptures alone. Let me tell you, it's worth joining the group. It's worth showing up for stuff that seems like it's pointless and doesn't accomplish anything because as time goes on, all of a sudden, you see a beautiful God thing that's grown. You see connections and relationships that are powerful and you see effectiveness for the kingdom of God that's just amazing. We must believe in the group, the body of Christ. The last one, believing in Christian marriage, Ephesians 5.33. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself and the wife must respect her husband. As I've mentioned many times, and I should say, look, my wife and I have a great relationship. We get along very well. We did have a period of time for just a couple years, maybe, where we really, really wanted the other one to die because we were completely committed to not getting divorced because of our faith, but we knew that there was a way out. It was the tell death do us part thing, and we were like, come on, Lord, help me out here, and it wasn't going that great. So we've had terrible years, and then we had a lot of not quite that bad, but not that great years. You know what I mean? Like we had a probably a good solid 18 to 20 of those, and maybe two or three of the, well, take her now, you know? And she was the same thing. She was like, Lord, you got to kill that man, you know? But we're way better now. And then a good solid, you know, maybe 15 to 20 years of, yeah, it's okay. But if I could do it over again, I'd do something different. You know what I mean? And we have, as the decades have gone by, endeavored to live out Ephesians 5.33. And now we are at the place where we absolutely love each other and it would be a terrible tragedy to be separated. And we have learned what it means to live inside of a love and respect relationship. And it's beautiful and wonderful. Now, we put faith in to the situation. We saw, boy, this isn't working. We need to live God's ways. And so we put faith into verses like this. And then we had the strength to do the right thing. I mean, I didn't want to lead. I just wanted her to tell me what to do. And then I wanted to blame her if it didn't work. And she just wanted to take control anyway, and then just resent me for not taking control. And it was just this big disaster. And we just decided we're going to do this instead. And we had to reorient it several times, but we put our faith, we put our actions into this. And now we understand why God would say this in the first place. And we have a very, very different relationship, and it's a beautiful thing. Add to your faith, goodness, to goodness, knowledge. Now you have a beautiful thing to protect through self control and perseverance. Too many believers 
are just living in the don't gospel, but they're stuck in the boring cage with nothing worth doing to do. God wants you to live a life full of things that are worth doing. I want to live to be 150 years old. I've told various people that, that I'm just believing God to live to be 150. Not a word from God, just a personal decision. You know, I just want to do that because here's the deal. This life is awesome. It's great. There's all these things I want to do that I know 150 years aren't going to be long enough to do. Oh, to be in that place instead of the place so many people are in. Well, they can't think of one thing that would be better than just being done with this life in the first place. Let's read Proverbs 1.7. Let's get an understanding of how this fits into knowledge. Proverbs 1.7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. So does God call us to live a life of fear? There are other verses like this one. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fear is good at the beginning. If you are rejecting God, you're opposed to God, you're separated from God, then guess what? God is someone that you should fear. If you are in rebellion against God, go ahead and fear. But there's a different thing that you need to know about. And that's in 1 John chapter 4, starting in verse 16. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. Do you know and rely on the love God has for you? You rely on it? No, this is my ticket. It's not anything I can do, but it's God's love for me. And I know it. Know and rely on God's love for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. In this way, love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. I hear that song, I can only imagine. I haven't seen the movie yet. But I've always thought, I know what I'm going to do on that day. I'm hitting the ground. I'm going down. Because in the presence of God, I'm hitting the deck. That's just it. There's nowhere else I can even think of going except straight down. Confidence on the day of judgment. In fact, looking forward to, the scriptures talk about speeding the coming of the Lord by bringing the gospel to the whole world. Because people are so excited and and waiting for the return of the Lord. They want to hurry it up confidence on the day of judgment because in this world we are like him that's the strength to do the right thing verse 18 there is no fear in love but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment the one who fears is not made perfect in love the fear of the lord is the beginning of knowledge then you take god seriously you have reverence for god awe of god worship god you walk by faith you put that faith into practice Then you start to know something more powerful, which is that God loves you, that you don't have to prove yourself to him, but he's washed you clean when you've asked for forgiveness and he's picked you up and he's got a plan for your life and you can have it because he's given you all you need for life and godliness. And you start to see that you can have confidence on the day of judgment and that perfect love of God casts out fear. We start with fear of God, but don't stay there. Don't stay in fear of judgment. Receive the perfect love that casts out fear. And then you can walk in victory in this life, confidently awaiting the day of judgment and walking into your true purpose for living in the first place. Oh, that's a good place to be. Let's make sure that we are in with God because we don't want to be in the place where our fear of God is legitimate. 
But we want to be in the place where we see that perfect love casts out fear. 